like to wait until the dun -dun 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 pops in so that's why i was just sitting there like an idiot for a second what's up man <laughs> what is up it is bright and early on a friday morning that here we is. are i uh here we are we're the pixels and yeah it is very early because i'm going out of town but we uh we just had exu ep7 drop last night like four hours ago basically honestly and uh, we wanted to get this episode in before I headed out. So yeah, my my very gracious co-host here agreed to get up at the crack of dawn and uh, film this with me. So thank you for being here, my friend. And thank you for staying up last night. Of course, you're beginning the great adventure. <laughs> Just to Portland or wherever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Oregon, so. Uh, I think I forgot this last time. So I'm on top of it this time. I'm Will. That's Blake. We're the Pixelists. We talk about stuff. And uh, I already drug the horse in, or the <laughs> cart in front of the course on... what? How does that phrase go? It's early. Car before the horse. Car before the horse. But yeah, today yeah. we're talking about EXU, uh, episode seven. And yeah, I mean... I want, on, go ahead. I want to go, go back, though. We have a new tagline, apparently. Oh, what is the it? Pixelist. We talk about stuff. You know, it could be it could be anything, you know? Yeah. I'm leaving our I'm leaving our options open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I continue. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. I was just gonna, you know, not that we not that we say too much normally, but I was just like, it's early. I figured I'd spare you and we could just jump right into this thing. Let's do it. And for our listeners, they're probably thinking like, yeah, like episode seven was crazy. Like we need to talk about this. Yeah. It was. And We'll get into it. Uh, but, so yeah, let's do that. I guess uh, first and foremost, I guess what, like we always do. What would you think in general? <laughs> I feel bad, man, because my I have a similar opinion of last episode in that. So this episode was actually really, really cool. Um, the fight itself, like I was thinking about, if I ever DM a D and D game, like how do you take the same old um, fight scene that we're all used to? and make it incredibly unique. And um, that's what Abria did. I mean, this yes. was so cool that even when it ended, Matt like specifically was like, hey, hey, Abria, that was awesome. <laughs> um, so it was a really cool episode of D&D. &D. It was a very flavorful episode of D&D. &D. Meta-wise, above the board, I'm, I'm getting real anxious and real <laughs> frustrated. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, where, where, what, what is happening now in one episode? We've resolved nothing. And the joke I texted you last night was that every episode introduces a new plot thread. <laughs> like, we're already like, I think of the the meme of the guy who's like, um, holding all the stuff and he's laughing and you know people like sub in like whatever item and he's like, why can't I hold all these, you know, whatever it is? <laughs> yeah. Like, 
I think of that with plot threads. It's like, oh, why can't I hold all these plot threads? And like, it's like, we'll give you another one, you know? And so we had the cube introduced. Like, what does it mean? What's the cube? Uh, other than a really awesome, you know, early 2000s movie. Um, so, yeah, now we have the cube. And I've just, I've just, I've slowly come to terms with the fact that this is going to be a show that it's going to end on Thursday. It's going to end a week. And probably nothing will be will be resolved, um, and that just I just have to be okay with that. And it's not I think my personality is neat and tidy, and you know here's some answers and some cleanliness with it. And I don't think that's where we're heading. And I think probably the sooner I get over that, um, the more I'll enjoy episode eight. So <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, I and that we talked about this kind of more at length in our previous episode uh, and i'm sure we'll kind of touch on this again later but yeah like i mean the cube does like it is just a new player has entered the arena right but maybe i'm naive but i'm kind of holding out hope that like and not that everything's gonna be connected and everything will be answered but this is gonna like there's gonna be a connection i hope because otherwise like yeah like what is this we were headed towards so many things and now here we are with this cube that I don't know. Well, you know. gotta let it, you gotta let it go, man. <laughs> you <laughs> but, gotta, you gotta let go of that hope. Yeah. Well, okay, well, I don't think it's happening. Well, I guess we'll touch on that in a bit, but like, um, I agree with you that, 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 that aspect of it and kind of being like, okay, wait, okay. Now we're, we're facing toward this with only one episode left is a bit interesting to say the least, but on the whole, the episode was pretty cool. And like you said, the mm. encounter was really cool, especially, I mean, the physical design of the props and like the, the battlefield and then the, the mechanics of the encounter as well were both super creative and awesome. So um, still an entertaining episode and I enjoyed yeah. it. But um, yeah, on the whole of like where this narrative is, is been heading for seven episodes, I don't know if I'm going to be fully narratively satisfied come the end of episode eight which i think is what you were saying too so we'll see i guess yeah yeah and, I, and maybe i should i probably save what i more i have to say on that a little later in the episode um because uh, i do have more to say on that some yeah. more thoughts i have on that but uh should we jump into our recap yeah yeah let's let's jump in the recap and get this thing going um yeah okay well, for, for our listeners by the way um if you are checking out the if you check out the whole episode or checking out just the recap, we do we do a, a little recap uh, as quickly as we can for four to five hours of content, and then we splice it out and put it as a separate video. Uh, which hi, you know we're here. Um, and if you're watching just the recap and you enjoy the recap, you want to check out what we think about the rest of the episode, and you have your own thoughts on the episode, make sure you click on the link down in the episode description to get the whole episode. Um, other than that, are we ready to roll? Yes, sir. You want to start us off? Sure. So um, the episode immediately opens up after the events of the chase, and the party is settling down in this room that's been provided to them. I think it was called the Teak Court. It was like a civil building near the city square. Yeah. And everyone's kind of like, like, wow, that was crazy. Um, and they all sort of take different turns, sort of patrolling uh, and sleeping like a typical, like a typical night. Um, Orm patrols first. He climbs to the top of the building and. Uh, sees out into the distance. He can actually see um, really the edge of the Banesfall Plateau, which is where the Iron Authority, it's the beginning of the 
the area that the Iron Authority uh, belongs. He sees that in the distance, and he has he's awash with this sense of, do I have what it takes to really protect them and take care of them? Uh, he knows he wants to protect his friends, but he's like, I'm a halfling. I, <laughs> am I enough to really do this? Um, during Fern's patrol, or actually before she goes on her patrol, uh, she actually has, while she's sleeping, this moment of sleep paralysis, and it seems to last for hours where um, she's sleeping, but she's also aware of her surroundings, and she even sees Dark Fern wearing the circlet pressing on her chest. Uh, and mm. It's very disturbing. Uh, until finally um, it subsides. She actually gets a little sleep and Orm comes and wakes her up for her patrol. Uh, during Dariax's patrol, uh, he observes the city square and he hears a voice that says, hi, and he looks and sees and it's the observer talking to him. And the observer and him chat for a little bit and have a little bit of a, um, I'd say a flirty back and forth. I ship it. Yeah, and uh, the observer basically says, hey, I, want, I just wanted you to know how proud I am of you. Um, you make decisions so boldly and stick to them just immediately. And he's like, that's the nicest anyone's ever described that to me. <laughs> and then she talks a little bit more about the gift again and says that she's giving him a gift. And he says, well, can it be a physical gift or is it, or is it a physical gift? And she's like, do you want it to be? And he feels this little itching in his back, um, but not, more, not, not much more is revealed from that moment. Um, during Dorian's uh, patrol, he's looking down in the plaza and sort of the remains of the battle to find his trusty hand axe um, that Opal had used to carve up the kidnapper. Ooh. He does find it. It's covered in blood and guts. And as he's cleaning it off, he realizes he has this little strand of something in his eye and he pulls out this arm's length uh strand of silk Ugh. out of his eye um and also while this is happening he's hearing this i don't say he's hearing a voice he's talking very negatively to himself and saying yeah you know of course you're going to screw things up of course you're basically a loser of course your brother is running the kingdom basically um why would it be you you know you always fail and he's really ruminating on these negative thoughts until finally he, um, as he sees the observer and makes his way towards the observer, the voice sort of quiets and things calm down. And he gets out and he experiences peace and sort of plays his lute and dozes off. And uh, Abria describes it as, even though he's only asleep for a little bit, he gets a full night's rest in just those few moments. Um, Opal, during her patrol, uh, I'm not really sure if she had a patrol or not, but um, she's definitely trying to internalize what happened. Um, she has sort of like this moment of not really quite remembering that she chopped some dude's head off. <laughs> you know, she's kind of traumatized yeah, and kind of in shock. And uh, the one thing she does know is that for whatever reason, she can't seem to reach Ted. And that's what happens with everybody. Uh, in the morning, as the party's getting up, Dorian actually sneaks off to a nearby kitchen and pretends to be a waiter with a towel over his arm to try to get some breakfast wine. And there's this bugbear chef who's very suspicious and is like, well, who are you? What are you doing? And Dorian's like, oh, I'm the waiter personally responsible for the adventurers who are upstairs. And the bugbear's like, oh, wow, we would, you know, definitely take whatever you need. Um, so he grabs the fruit, uh, he grabs the wine and just kind of scampers off with all this stuff. Um, Orm's actually followed him. He didn't realize this. And it's kind of like, hey, let me help you with that. Maybe next time you can just ask, you know. <laughs> and so he, they take all the breakfast back to the party. And they're all like, ooh, cool mimosas, basically. 
And uh, so they start to enjoy breakfast. Um, Thrascour uh, arrives and is like, hey, so what have you guys decided you're going to do? And they've actually been chatting about this before Thrascour even comes in. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go south to help Umeji, your friend. And Thrascour's really relieved by this and is like, okay, well, let's get you equipped to go. And all these servers come in and they start to bring in like all these rations, supplies, pretty much everything that they would need for their journey. Uh, and the goal is to um, basically go down and help Umeji. Uh, Thrascor gives them a map uh, that's very basic, doesn't really help them too much, but it's designed to lead them south to Tazarm, uh, which is the capital of the Iron Authority. They're going to, um, they're also told to follow a star constellation, which I don't remember what the constellation was called. Do you? Actually, no. Okay. <laughs> it's a constellation. <laughs> I don't know if it's that important. Um, and then to also, they're like, hey, basically, uh, you're basically going the right way if you get to uh, Nirdal Sarkat, which is our the, the ruins of our southernmost city. Um, so they're like, okay, cool. And before they leave, uh, one of the servers, a 12-year-old girl, hands a letter over from uh, Gennar to go to uh, Umeji. Basically says, hey, can you can you send this letter on behalf of um, Gennar? Um, or rather, they realize it's from Gennar. Uh, even though at first, Derex is like, I think it's an assassin, and it freaks the girl out, and she runs off and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so the party decides, okay, yeah, let's make our way south. Um, they travel with relative ease. They eventually make it to near Sarkat, and in the ruins of this ancient city, the most obvious thing is this giant, massive, floating cube. And I said that right. <laughs> Literally, there's a giant cube that's just slowly spinning, and it's a face with all these different sigils and symbols. And these sigils and symbols are also marked on these pillars that are surrounding the cube, um, which some of them are knocked over. And the party recognizes that some of these sigils are sigils of the iconic gods of the worlds of Exandria, some of the you know, good gods, so to speak, and some of the betrayer gods. So like they see a spider, for example, uh, representing the Spider Queen, although they note that it doesn't seem to look as sinister um, yeah. as they would assume. Well, looking at the cube, Fern's like, let's throw a rock at it. Why not? And so throws a rock. It sticks to the cube. And they're like, <gasps> wow, that's really interesting. Um, they basically pick Opal to be the one to go up to the cube because they're, I think, uh, Orm's like, hey, you're the most magic-y. You know, maybe you would be the right person to go. Uh, and Dariax decides to tie a rope to her in case she gets stuck so that they, he can basically pull her off. So they decide to go under the cube, and in doing this, they both trip, basically, and fall, and they both get sucked up onto the cube. And it's in this moment that they realize, you know, they're kind of like, ah, you know, thinking they're going to get stuck to it, and they land on their feet on the cube as it's spinning, and they realize that every face of the cube has its own sense of gravity, so to speak. Right, yeah. Uh, and they're actually able to walk on the cube. In fact, Dariac starts running in circles around <laughs> the cube. And it's like, this is awesome. Um, and they're like, well, what do we do? And they start to remember, oh, yeah, back at that runestone where Melora's test happened, if we touched that, when we touched it, we understood what it meant. So they decide to basically put their hands on each face of the cube and touch it. And um, the rest of the party actually all make their way onto the cube and they each take a face and the cube is glowing. And as they touch each face and they, they get these phrases that form in their mind, 
And also, by the way, while they're reading out these phrases, um, the cube is changing colors and sort of it seems like almost unlocking as they're saying the phrases. Yeah. Um, oh, and there's this big stone construct golem that seems to be getting more and more aggressive as they read each phrase. But so the phrases are, and we weren't really quite sure on the order of these, but the universe above, the universe within, remember what came before, decide what comes next, provide for all, a shield to protect. And as they say those final words, as they realize what the last face means, this deep hum happens, um, starts to get louder and louder. Fern actually gets down and actually is able with her strength to stop the cube from moving. And she's like, kind of like, ha ha, I stopped it. <laughs> and then the cube explodes. Oh, baby. And they're all dead. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> all right, why don't you take the rest of it from there? Okay, yeah, good job. All right, so I think that's also, is that where we cut to break too? Yes. Uh huh. Okay, yeah. So, boom, we return from break. You know, Fern has just tried to stifle this cube, but to no avail. And so this cube explodes and we're presented with like this new map. And on the new map, there's like, it's awesome, by the way. And there's all these chunks of the cube that are now scattered about. And um, the party members are on various pieces of this uh, cube still attracted to this like anomalous gravity that it has created or provided. And I think I think Dariax is like in the dead center with this this uh, stone golem like construct. Right. And it's cool because Abria's got like this smoky like dry ice effect that's like permeating the whole thing. It's awesome. So we roll initiative and basically combat has started. And what's really awesome about this encounter, um, Abria basically, you know, did some really cool homebrew stuff here. And the she basically made it so like the energy of this place gave them each a special ability for the battle. And um, each round she had the players roll. I think it was a D6. And depending on mm -hmm. what they rolled, that informed the ability that they would um get and so we've got the golem that's in the central center platform versus dariax but then there are also um two other golems that sprout up at other places um as this fight goes on and they seem to be powered by this like blue flaming energy um that is reminiscent of what like the cube was composed of um so Dorian, uh, his ability that he was given was the ability to like control wells of gravity to affect himself. Um, so he could kind of manipulate his own gravity to, <laughs> he didn't actually use it really <laughs> in the whole fight, but it, it was cool nonetheless. Uh, so Dariax, uh, he gained the ability, I forgot what it was called, but he, he, get, he could choose either light or heavy. And if he chose light, it meant he got to attack twice. And if he chose heavy, it meant he basically crit. Like, his his damage was doubled, basically. Um, Fern, I think, got the coolest ability of everyone. She got the ability... And, and to take a step back here, Abria keeps describing it, um, not for everyone, but for a lot of people. Like, you see time kind of, like, before you and in fern's case she says you see time not as a road but as like a web sprawled out before you and you can reach ahead and like pluck different strands of the web and affect time and um the mechanics of how she explains this works is that anyone within 30 feet of fern 
uh, she can cause them as a reaction to do a reroll. So she could reroll herself, she could reroll an ally, or she could make an enemy reroll, and any d20 roll. So that was super okay. cool. And um, Opal got the ability to, um, she got this pool of healing that she was able to um, decide she could use on anybody. And then finally, Orem. Imagine yeah. imagine getting the reroll one and the next one's like, what am I going to get? <laughs> you get plus 11 heals. Oh. <laughs> uh, anyway, and then opinion. Orem got, oh yeah, and I think Orem was the other one she described as, she was like, Orem, you see before you like time unfurl as like a road. Or she used some sort of like flowery descriptive language like that. But mm. essentially what his ability was is he got to get an extra battle maneuver Um which is just a mechanic of his fighter class. So he basically gets to double up on those. Um, so everyone gets these cool abilities. We've got these golems that are um, pretty tough. And the party's basically all kind of split right now. I mean, they're all together, but they're all like in different encounters with golems around this gravity well, mm -hmm. awesome battlefield. So... While this is all happening, um, in addition to the golems, uh, Opal, Abria notes, is getting stuck with these residuum needles. Um, one every couple rounds, it seems. Like one in her forehead, one in her shoulder, and then I think another one in her other shoulder. Um, and as these are happening, she eventually is picking up on like where they're coming from. And she notices that they're not coming from any of the golems or anything. They seem to be coming from about like 100 yards away. Um in like a thicket, I think she describes. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's told that they don't seem to be tethered to you, meaning like the needles aren't tethered to Opal. Um, but that's really all she can she can glean from it at this point. Um, so meanwhile, one of the golems tries to smash uh, Dariax, and he uses his favored by the gods ability to try to invade it. And what happens here is earlier when Blake mentioned that when Dariax was talking to the Observer, he felt a little like itch on his back, but nothing came of it. Well, the payoff here was that four wings sprout out of his back, and this was a gift <laughs> from the Observer. And Dariax can now fly, and he uses those wings uh, to avoid the smash. And it was, it was crazy, and it was awesome. <laughs> um, but so they basically defeat the golems, and as the battle is coming to a close, Opal misty steps onto the ground and just tries to sprint towards where these needles are coming from since she's figured that out. And as Opal gets close, Mirada steps out and is revealed to be the one who is tossing these residual needles. And she has a big um, residual spike, similar to the ones she's had in previous episodes. And she jams it into the ground. And when she does, Opal feels like a like a tinge of energy go to where the needle in her right shoulder was. And it just gets like impossibly heavy and like her right side slumps to the ground. Uh, then Murata slams another spike in the ground. And the same thing happens with the left. And Opal just like falls to the ground. And like her top half of her body is like numb. And so Murata's walking up, and the rest of the party at this point is probably still 60, 70 yards away. So Opal, it's just Opal and Murata. So Murata steps up to her, and she's speaking, but she doesn't seem to be speaking to Opal. She says, whatever your name is, I'm going to free you from this little girl, and together we're going to change the world. And Opal's like, what? What are you talking about? And Murata's like, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Ted. 
and Opal's like, Ted's not here because she hasn't been able to communicate with Ted. And Murata says, that's not true. And so Opal tries to cast uh, a spell. I think mine sli- mine's silver or sliver, silver, sliver. Whoa. I think it's sliver. <laughs> and uh, it only has um, verbal components. So even though she can't use her hands, it's fine. But Murata effortlessly, effortlessly just flicks her hand and counterspells it and says that like, basically nice try like there's nothing you could do to stop me and she kind of speaks up there's like nothing any of you could do to stop me like i've been through way too much to be stopped by like the lot of you at this point and as she's kind of like gloating saying that you know effortlessly effortlessly counterspelling and like walking up to opal who again is just like basically paralyzed the episode essentially ends <laughs> and uh cliffhanger style and there's no post credit scene this time. So that's all we're left with. And that's episode seven, Beyond the Heart of the City. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Dude, what an app. Yeah. I mean, like we said, you know, previous critiques still in 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 tow. I still really enjoyed it. Like that that whole encounter was awesome. Yeah, the encounter was amazing. Um, the whole sense of like borrowed power. I mean, which interesting to note, Dariax didn't get the wings because of the encounter. He got him right as a gift from the observer. Right. And basically only because he was like, I want a gift. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. It's like, sure, yeah, you can fly. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a good starting point. Like, I'm let's talk like the power levels of the party yeah um because it seems like it seems like dariax has it going on now i mean isn't let's see i'm pretty sure fly is typically a level 20 ability that people get at the end of uh level 20 of their class you can get it before Um, then you can get versions of it before then okay because like remember in our campaign like ben had fly oh that's right yeah 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 and he was a sorcerer too Mm. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there is like, I think you're thinking of like permanent flight. Like you have wings and you can just fly. Yeah, I'm thinking of yeah the wings effect. Yeah, because I know paladins. I played a paladin. You know, paladins get wings. Mm. Um, yeah. So there is the fly spell, uh, which you actually you do get pretty early. You get as early as level three. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, like yeah, somewhere three or five or something around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, but, but this um, one, let's, let's look at this. I mean, fly, uh, the target gains a flying speed of 60 for the duration, blah, 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 blah. Um, his flight speed is 90 and it doesn't seem to be temporary. Maybe it's temporary. See, that's, that's the thing. I assumed it's temporary, which it might not be, especially with only one episode left. Like maybe she doesn't care. You know, maybe it's like, why limit it? There's only one episode left. Have fly, you know, but there's been a lot of, and I mean, Abria's Abria. She might not be like Matt, but there's been a lot of cases in like the first two campaigns where characters have things that let them fly like for like one minute, you know, or like you can activate this once a day for one minute, which is you know ten rounds in a in a combat encounter. But okay. it's not like you can just fly anywhere all the time or anything. Yeah, so yeah. it I might mean, might be something like that, or maybe it's just permanent. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, part of me, it could be either way, right? But Abria's style of DM is definitely, we've talked about this, like, if you think of, like, the chaotic evil DM, who's <laughs> like, I'm going to kill you all. 
Yeah. And then the person who's more um, the opposite of that, who's like, I want you to have cool stuff. I want this mm-hmm. to be amazing. And Abria early on when the party found the um, 5,000 platinum. No, they found 5,000 gold, 500 right, right, platinum, right. something like that. I can't remember. And everyone was kind of like, this is episode one. Like, is this, <laughs> are yeah. we sure? And she's like, yeah, I want my, I want my players to have cool stuff. Of course. Um, so I kind of think of Abria. I mean, she's genuinely excited and that's actually what informs her, um, DMing strategy. And a lot of these encounters, like when someone's like, um, you know, Opal's like, I want to, I want to flip the crock and, yeah. you know, she's like, all right, that sounds really cool. Like do it, you know? And so, yeah. um, then you have like the DM in the middle who I think is more of like the Matt Mercer esque, um, neutral, um, more like by the book. But, um, point being, what I was trying to say was I could see her being like, yeah, you got fly. You know? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So I mean, I could too. It could, I, it could be either way. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, I would think also, um, you know, these abilities that they got. I mean, if I was Orem, I'd be like, oh, man, I wish I could keep this second battle maneuver because that's yeah. really cool. I mean, it's I think of it as almost like and this is not quite the same. But if you chose your pact as a warlock and then someone was like, All right, you can choose another pact. And yeah, you'd be like, that's amazing. I'm so strong. Yeah. And I don't know. Obviously it seems like it was because of this air, like the energy of the cube, right. That gave them this, which I, I mean, unless you had more to say on this ability specifically, I mean, I guess we're not really changing subjects, but I was just going to say like, what is this cube? Like, what is this energy? Is it permanent? Is it just because they're around it? Like, is this going to dissipate and the power is going to go away? There's a lot of like, at least, with Orem and Fern, a lot of time travely language that was used, which can kind of play back into some of the things we've been speculating about, speculating about for seven episodes. So, what, like, what's going on here? What is this cube? Where did this come from? Is this gonna play into anything we've already been leading towards, or is this just a brand new? What did they unleash? Entity? Yeah, like, what did they unlock? Yeah, like, what was that cryptic poem? I mean, is this like a Pandora's box esque thing where, you know, and then also I'm like, hey, Thrash School, like, do you think you could have mentioned like <laughs> yeah. the big floaty cube? Like, maybe warn them. Like, I hey, mean, like, oh, don't touch that, by the way. <laughs> I mean, specifically tells them, hey, you're going to go to where the cube is, by the way. But coincidentally yeah. leaves. I mean, this is, this is, and it's not like they don't know about it. I mean, this is, we already know this person knows like basically everything about everything, mm-hmm. you know, as like an oracle. And so, why not mention the big floaty box? Yes. Yeah. And that's you not, know, I mean, that's not why they were going there. They just decided right. to check it out, you know? Right. So like, I don't know. Clearly this was a very planned encounter though. So like Abria wanted them to check it out, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know. It's, it's just tying into what we talked about at the very beginning of this episode of like, is this part of the things or is this just a really cool encounter that she threw in to have in episode seven? I think it feels like the, it feels like it of like all the threads. It feels like this one most falls in line with, um, this theme of like the betrayer gods and the calamity. And, um, it seems like the Kinnearan civilization is somehow linked, um, to the gods in some way. Um, we know that Melora protects the Kinnearan civilization mm-hmm. or protects uh, Nirdalpak right. um, from people finding it. 
Um, and we also know that uh, not far off in um, the Iron Authority, there are betrayer gods who are being worshipped. And, and there was also an added detail at the start of this episode. I think um, maybe Thrascor mentioned it, but said basically like not only do they worship the betrayer gods, but they are essentially they try to get back what was lost. Hmm. which to me was a pretty heavy-handed way of saying, hey, if you have any vestiges, by the way, um, yeah, they would definitely want that. Uh, which, why hasn't Thresker mentioned... I can never say Thresker's name right. Yeah. Thresker. Um, why didn't why didn't Thresker mention the, the circlet? Obviously knows they have that too. And so, I, I yeah, the, the, the sort of coy game that's happening, I'm not quite sure what's going on here. I don't know either. And like maybe again, I'm not saying it's all tied together, but maybe there are connections here because like despite like you I think I think you mentioned in the recap that there was like a symbol for the spider queen on the cube, right? And mm-hmm. it wasn't it it was just a symbol. It wasn't really like evil or you know what I'm saying maybe from like in ancient times, maybe the spider queen was just the spider queen. It wasn't really associated with like maybe like maybe it was from a time before the betrayal as it were. Um, so maybe like this whole, this whole plot thread with the spider queen is going to kind of converge with whatever's happening here. Like maybe there is a tie, um, and not to jump in this rabbit hole already, but like Fern was basically manipulating time with her special ability. So like we, we keep wondering about time travel. If a huge Tesseract cosmic cube exploding isn't the beginning of a time loop, what is? Like, maybe maybe we actually are heading towards some sort of time loop. But yeah, I, I, I don't guess know. The thing, two things, I think. I mean, they're, they had to roll for their ability. They had to roll a D6. So, true. you know, Bria obviously had, like, you know, so I mean, I'm like I, I joked earlier, but if I'm the person who rolled Fern's ability and then I rolled Opal's, mm-hmm. um, which it seemed like there were six options tailored for each uh, character, because um, like for example, it wouldn't make sense if like Fern, you know, hey, you get another battle maneuver, doesn't make sense, right? So I I got the impression that they were um, tailored for each one. So yeah, it does seem like Fern has sort of like this time um, theme for her abilities, which is interesting. I guess for me, I had the same thought of like, yeah, are we heading to some kind of time loop? For me, the week zero, it doesn't seem to neatly, I'm not seeing a lot of parallels with week zero to make me think we're right. heading to it. Because here's what I know so far of week zero is, and, we're, and for the listeners, we're talking about the week of amnesia, um, what happened in the Feywild prior to week right. one. Right. Um, yeah, I'm wondering. I mean, maybe the party fights Marada and they escape into the Feywild or something. I, I don't know, but um, we know that Dorian has to make a decision. Uh, we keep it keeps getting mentioned over and over again that he's going to make a decision. Yeah. Um. So it seems like all roads should be leading to some big decision that Dorian makes. Um, which I and- think is going to be to put on the crown. Yeah, I mean, we we've been hoping this whole show that somebody kind of would. So, and I, this I I know that this is Mephistoing because I already know the the, the logical <laughs> explanation for this. 
magnets and i'll get to that but at one point robbie goes i feel like i'm stuck in a time loop which like you know you could draw the conclusion because oh dorian is and they all are but i think he was just talking about like because in that turn i think fern had used the ability so he had like this was unbeknownst to him but like he attacked and missed but then he she rolled and so he attacked and hit yeah, yeah, and he yeah. like kept rolling the same, like it was something with the bless or something, and he like kept rolling the same thing. He rolled, he rolled a fourteen to miss, and you know Matt Mercer, the lovable Matt Mercer, uh, added d four for bless. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he just kept saying that. Yeah. So he rolled the fourteen, and then Matt Mercer joked about the the bless roll. He rolled a one to make it fifteen, um, and then so it missed. I think he needed sixteen, and then. Fern had him re-roll again. He rolled a 14 again. And then Matt Mercer th- said the blessed thing and he rolled a one again. So he got a 15 again, like the exact same numbers. Yeah. And so I think it's why he said that. I mean, it definitely <laughs> is, but still like, or, but was it though? <laughs> what if it was like a triple layered <laughs> yeah. comment? He looked at the camera. And... <laughs> I know, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I really, in my heart of hearts, I don't think there's like some obscure, galaxy brain time travel thing happening but it's weird that there's this many things that like point to the possibility of that yeah there's definitely there's definitely time has been something that has been or time travel it it has been like indirectly referenced in some way so many times in this show um and i think you would text me like time travel confirmed (laughs) (laughs) yeah it feels like we're we're heading to it right i mean we have to be like some kind of time loop thing i don't know and uh, i won't i'm being careful of any type of spoilers here so i'll i'll be vague in my language but i still want to mention this um for other people that have seen campaign one and two that language abria used in this encounter talking about like i i don't i think she said like motes of possibility kind of or like or like fragments of possibility or, or something not those exact words but there's some sort of language like that talking about these abilities, these special abilities they were getting and stuff. And that type of language she was using is very similar to a type of language Matt uses with this school of magic he created. And that school of magic can do lots of cool things that are in the realm of time travel. So I was wondering if this cube is maybe of the same magic that we are sort of familiar with from other campaigns. I know, is I'm that, kind of talking Dun- in circles. Is that Dunamancy? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't know anything about it. I just was reading some of the Reddit comments. People are like, it's the Dunamancy cube. Yeah, okay, like, so I yeah, I, I haven't even looked at any commentary yet, but so I'm glad to hear other people saw that too, and I'm not crazy. So it's just <laughs> another thing that maybe could point something in that direction. And um, one other thing that I wanted to say, because you were saying that, uh, you know, Fern just so happened to get the on her D6 roll, you know, the, the time manipulation and opal got the healing or whatever as a dm i'm not convinced that was truly random i think abria could have decided from the jump who was going to get exactly what and just told them to roll to give the illusion of choice you know because like kind of uh, to that point the fact that Orum got a battle maneuver you know like either she had like a separate d6 table for each person mm-hmm. or she kind of knew what each person was going to have like maybe there was like one or two options and the role, I'm not saying the role was completely pointless, but if Fern was supposed to end up with that ability, Abria was going to make sure that that was the case, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it could have been something. I mean, we're I'm, we're making it seem like six options because of six results on the die. Right. I mean, it could have been if they roll a one through three, they get this. If they get a four through six, they get that. And yeah. it's different flavors of the same thing. So, Burn, you can use your reaction. Maybe one of them is, hey, you can use a, um, you know, bonus action. I don't know. It wouldn't be as cool, but, yeah, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I mean, it was a really cool... It was a really cool encounter, um, and the party just really enjoyed it. Like I, the part where Dariax swoops off to pick up Opal, who's been knocked off the platform, and uh, you know, sort of like freaking looks phenomenal, like bringing her back up. Yeah. Um, and then D- Dorian had an awesome moment where he um, uh, kills one of the golems, and uh, Matt Mercer's like. Dude, you were like Goku in that. Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. It was so cool. Dude, so. speaking of Dorian, I'm glad you said that. It reminded me. There was a moment when in the battle when he was trying to cast something. You might have to remind me what it was because I don't remember. Whispers? Yeah, I think so. And she said his fingers got like darker and the voice returned. Presumably the Spider Queen, right? That's yeah, like yeah. that's kind of like messing with him and like kind of gaslighting him right and she's like it's not gonna work and he does it and i think this is where i'm confused like was it never gonna work and like she has like in some way kind of like muted his magic or did was that just like flavor because he happened to miss like he rolled poorly and so it missed or was like because you know she said that before he rolled she's like this isn't gonna work before you roll but then he did roll and i think he did just miss so i'm curious if like she's that she's got that much of a grip on him to where like like how ted took opal's magic did the spider queen take dorian's i i don't think so i think i think this was a combination of two things um one the construct not being a creature which i think this was something that the live chat and reddit um every bad guy in critical role is a creature um and so, but Abria had basically DM ruled that, hey, constructs are not creatures. And okay. so the description of Dissonant Whispers says, you know, you target a creature within this many yards. And so just like in the chase scene where she said, hey, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, she let it work last episode because it was being controlled by Murata. Right. Um, and so in this case, it's not being controlled by anything. And she said plainly, like, hey, it's not going to work. But we also know that Abria is really big into the rule of cool. And if you really want to do something, um, go for it. So I think I think what she was letting him roll for was um, basically if he gets a natural 20, yeah, like, hey, yeah, this works. Um, so that was my take on it. And then like the whole like that makes sense. It, I think the rest of it was like flavor of why it failed. Right, right. Um, I don't think it was necessarily like the Spider Queen has some kind of grip on him. Um, and she even says, you know, yeah, you burn a spell slot. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work. And then also later, the same thing happens to Opal, by the way. Opal tries to cast something and um, uh, Abria says, yeah, it's not a creature. Burn a spell slot. Sorry. <laughs> you know, you wasted your spell. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that was one critique that people were pretty vocal about, um, which, you know, every episode people are like, yeah, mm, we got actually, the rules lawyers. Yeah, for sure. Well, okay. That's not how it works. So. <laughs> that was very Conan O'Brien for me for some reason. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. 
but yeah, that, okay, that makes sense to me. That you know, that was just her flavor for why it didn't work was the Spider Queen messing with them. But I mean, not not to jut away from this entirely, but while we're here, you know, him pulling the whole thing out of his eye. Good lord! Like so, she's yeah, yeah. like, I guess she, I guess it's if if Dorian's the one, right? As far as if something's gonna happen with that circlet slash the Spider Queen, it's him, right? We we're thinking maybe it might have been Opal. Yeah. Um, but it seems like Opal's got Murata to deal with. So Dorian's yeah. going to be doing this. I, I, you, you briefly mentioned this a second ago, but the decision that keeps being referenced, you think it's to put on the crown? I think it's weird that the party, that the crown has been so out of the dialogue for two episodes now. Um, you know, I mean, or there was so much dialogue before. I'm like, you had a bad dream. It was on the Spider Queen. What? They haven't talked about this, so they haven't had a chance to have a check-in yet. And yeah. so it seems like it seems like Dorian is slowly being. I mean, the the terminology I think that Abria used was when it once he pulls the thread out, the silk out. Uh, it's she said that he feel he felt lighter. Um, right, right, right. And so, um, yeah, I, I think I wonder, did he already put the crown on? Because cause I'm thinking, okay, he's being affected mm. a lot more than anyone else. I wonder if late one night he put it on and then took it off and put it back in the bag or something. And that's why he's... Either way, though, I think absolutely, yeah, we're heading towards him putting it on. Interesting. Because um, hmm. initially, you know, he made a deal with her. Like, he made a deal with the devil and... and in terms of like getting that memory back and saying he would like help her find a champion, be it Posca or be it whoever. Right. So I think even if he didn't put the crown on, maybe that's why he's like more seeped in her influence because like he actually like brokered with her. But, um, you know, initially my thought was that the decision would be like relinquishing the crown to Posca or to like someone he shouldn't in order to protect his friends. But since we don't, we're, we're at one episode left, we're, facing down an encounter with Murata, who is not interested in the crown seemingly. So it seems like the decision, like you said, might be, okay, I might need to put this on myself in order to like help my friends survive, defeat Murata or whatever, you right. know? So right. I could, I could see that. And so I'm trying to think ahead of that and trying to parse out like what that would mean, what that would have, like how that would play into this decision. Like, if that is the decision, if that is what happens, like how how does how does Firarai, how does Thraskur know this? Like how how are they aware that that like all this was going to happen? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and yeah, I mean that's and I think that's my point earlier from like finding the parallels of Week Zero. Like it it if we are because I think you're right. Like it seems like we are heading to him putting it on possibly to protect the party after because Murata is obviously incredibly powerful. Um, probably a lot more powerful than the party can handle. And so, you know, maybe your trump card is the circlet. Um, I wonder if it, but, but in saying that, you know, him putting it on in this moment, it doesn't seem to line up with the details of how that moment's been described earlier. I say that moment, whatever the decision was earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, how we talked about this last episode, it seems a bit strange that Fury would be like, see you later guys. Yeah. You know, it's like, Hey, you still got a lot of work to do to help these people. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I don't know. Maybe he maybe he offers it to Murata. Oh, like in exchange, like here, take this instead or something. Yeah, it's it's like a uh, you know Doctor Strange time stone. Hey, leave my spare my friends. You I know, could see that. Booklet. I could see that, but it we still don't even know why Murata's so obsessed with Ted. Like she seemingly knows more than we do about what's going on there because we know nothing about what's going on there. So she clearly probably knows more than we do, but. Um. Yeah, the language at the very end of that episode kind of confused me, which I know that <clears throat> when I when I was giving the recap, I just went with what I thought it was. But I've seen other people who say it's differently. And to to clarify on what I'm talking about, let me just pull it up real quick so I say it again. Um. So Marada at the very end of the episode when she's talking to Ed or whatever, she says. Whatever your name is, I'm going to free you. And here's the discrepancy. Free you and this little girl or free you from this little girl. And from you, from this little girl makes sense to me because like if there's some power, some entity, be it Ted or be it whatever Ted is that Murata wants, then it makes sense that she's going to free it from this little girl. Like just calling Opal a little girl, basically like this little girl doesn't deserve mm. this power. I do. But I've seen on, on Twitter and stuff, some people think she says, and this little girl. Which that makes no sense to me, but so I just I don't know which one it is, but uh, if if it's and this little girl, then that makes it seem like Ted is just Ted, and she's just caught in the middle of something that's going on, and there is indeed a third entity that is involved in the Ted Opal warlock relationship. It seems like there's some tie-in to her mom. <laughs> I mean, there has to be, right? I mean, you know, the identity <laughs> of her mom. It, yeah, I mean there's too much going on here that um, these are just two random girls from by Rodin. Right. Um, whether it's and or from, I, I have no idea. Um, but yeah. it, it, but it ties back to what we said last episode when I pointed out that Abria had tweeted that, Hey, this of all the plot threads, this story is ultimately a story about Opal. And it seems like that's what we're being set up for, for the final episode. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I just, I still don't know what to make of it. And I'm trying to figure out, I guess like because of that, I don't think that Murata would take the crown, you know, like as a, as a trade. Um, I, I'm also like, I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen in this last episode. Cause I feel like it's, if it's just, if we just start out with the encounter against Murata, I feel like that's not like enough. So I feel like maybe she's going to get away maybe even take Opal with her or maybe successfully like extract whatever Ted is and then get away. And maybe they got to go after her or something. I it don't does know. seem like it seems like, cause here's how I see it. I'm just, I'm just trying to do like mental math of like minute by minute here. Um, yeah. You have one episode, presumably four to five hours. The longest episode has been four hours and 45 minutes. There's, there has to be a final battle of some kind, whether it's Murata or something else. Um, so I slate two hours for that. And then there's probably a lot of like exposition and like conversation and something. I don't know. Um, or maybe the whole battles the whole time. I don't know. We know that they have borrowed power from the cube. So it, for me, it feels like there's not enough time for Murata to leave and then give chase, catch up to her and then fight her again. Um, I think this battle's happening and I think this battle is going to happen 
either right very quickly or it's going to be the length of the episode and um, the episode's going to end and nothing else got resolved. <laughs> well, maybe the battle does happen right off the bat and then there is one of these other 12 dangling plot threads that fleshes out the rest of the finale. Um, I will say that since it is the finale, I mean, I, I think they'd probably still try to stick to the same time window they've been doing, but if any episode was going to be like a vastly different length, it probably would be the finale, you know? This I'm episode not, is one hour. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to be like six hours or anything, but it might be yeah. an extended one. Right, right. Which, are you going to be able to watch it live, by the I, way? I want to. I don't. I kind of have to wait to see where i am thursday and if we have if i have like a decent internet but if i if i can i will be i'll put it that way i will say for people who dm their own campaign i feel like this episode was like a mixture of inspiration for like what you know what could i do in my own campaign and probably like jealousy of like oh my gosh that set because the set was really cool it was really cool it was it was so i want to know how it was made i i saw i need to go do a little bit deeper research but i saw the person who made it i'm pretty sure a few of the cast had retweeted them like they sent out a tweet about like you know oh i made this you know my critical role is finally the night or whatever and i think abria said she was going to do like a at some point later which she may maybe has done it by now but like a deep dive on like how everything was put together so i'll be looking out for that but yeah like it was so cool because it was actually magnetized which that was the coolest part Yes. Oh. Yes. Um, so I was just looking at uh, their Twitters to see if I could find that person. But mm. yeah, yeah. The whole design of it was cool. Um, I think it was inspiring for every DM, you know, because I, I think that's one thing that's great about Critical Role is um, it continues to be a really great standard for um, creativity as a DM, you know, which I know you've been a DM before. You're great at being a DM. I've never been a DM. But if I ever do DM, I mean, I, I know that the bar is high, um, which, well, you know, for, hopefully anyone I play with would have never have seen Critical Role. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't compare to that. It's, it's like a, it's like comparing yeah. to the, the NFL, to Little Leagues, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't know where this goes from here. Um, I did see, I saw someone say on, I was reading some Reddit comments and, um, one of the theories that someone had put out was the reason it feels like there's so many plot threads is it's like when you play an RPG game and like different quests pop up mm-hmm. and you decide like which storyline you want to go down, like which trail you want to go down. Yeah. And that Abria was essentially doing that for the party. Like, Hey, do you, here's Posca. Like, do you want to adventure this way? Like, Hey, mm-hmm. here's the circlet and sort of giving them like a shape your own adventure. Like there's meat in any direction. Right. If you switch shoes, and that, that kind of made sense to me. The way I disagree with that, I guess, is um, the work that went into building the cube, frankly. Like, I think you even said it earlier, like, Abria knew they were going to go south, knew they were going to be at near, near Dal Sarkat. Yep. Um, so I think it's a bit disingenuous to be like, hey, this is the smorgasbord of plot threads, is kind of where we naturally ended up. Um, I think, I think the party has been going in a singular direction that makes sense. And yet we do have so many different unanswered questions and frankly, big, big characters in the show. Um, we did this last episode, but just for the sake of our viewers, 
Um, we have Posca and the Nameless Ones. Um, we have Murata, who's here now. We have Opal and Ted, who's related to Murata, so those can be paired together. Um, we have the Circlet, which is a big deal. We have Umeji and the Iron Authority. Um, we have um, the Ash Hole, you know, and like the Fire Genasi and Gilmore. Uh, we have the Cube that they've just unlocked. It's exploded. It exploded. There's, it's not coming back together. Um, what else? Is that everything? Um, it depends on if you count like the Dark Fern time travel stuff. Dark Fern. And the, yeah, the Unforgiven yeah. Shadow Lady in the doorway. Oh, and the the War Queen. Yeah. Don't forget the War Queen. You know, so like, this isn't like just like an un an unanswered question. There are some major players in the story that, I mean, there, there, there's no way this all gets resolved. I'm just saying it. There's no way. There's no possible way. Um, maybe a few of them do, but I think it does. I, it makes me. We've talked about this several times now on like, what's the point of exu3 like is this just like an integrated story is this is this a um like what is this and something that i've said a few times is i feel like this is a setup for campaign three um the more plot threads that get introduced the more i believe in that personally of abria is world building for the sake of campaign three um and when you view it from that lens it becomes a lot more easier to digest the unanswered questions, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think she's absolutely world building. And I think, I think she's even said as much that like, that was her intention to like make the world bigger, leave the world bigger than she found it. Um, I don't necessarily think that has to mean that Matt's going to pick up those threads in campaign three, but it does mean that those threads are out there now. And if there's future seasons of EXU, if it's campaign three, campaign four, campaign five, like maybe it just, eventually gets picked up because she set that out there and that's kind of just a like putting myself in her shoes if i got to like impact that world i would probably try to set as many freaking boats in motion as i could too so like and i i understand the the rpg analogy and i agree with that but i think i think you're right in saying that like it's not fair to completely call it that because like we just listed all those things and it's not as if I mean, I'm not trying to put my foot in my mouth because next episode, maybe everything's somehow connected and, you know, okay, great. But like the cube wasn't connected to any of those 100 things we just listed. And yet that's what this entire episode was about in episode seven. So it's not as if like, oh, this huge cube encounter was because of the decisions made. made. No, the cube was out of left field and completely new, you know, like. Right. So. I, th- I think that's probably my biggest criticism is, and I joked about it, like it feels like every episode has to introduce a whole new plot thread. Yeah. Um, which is fine. It's just when you watch the series as a whole, it makes it, and this was the comment from actually episode one where I said, Hey, I'm a little apprehensive about where, where does the story go? Um, you know, I, I always wonder, is, is episode eight going to have a nuke, you know? <laughs> and now here is, you know, the ancient city of Tahamet that you stumbled <laughs> across through the dimension door. You know, it's like, okay, okay. Yeah. Some resolution would be great. I mean, my expectations are this, this opal thing. We get some sort of answer, right? Because, like, that's what's on the front door, knocking at the door. So we get that, and presumably 
we get the Dorian thing. If we don't get like a big decision moment from Dorian, I will have <laughs> be like, what is going on with this show? So surely we're going to get those two things and maybe. Oh, 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 that's number 10 is Amnesia Week, week zero, the crater. We, oh, we right. still don't know, we, we don't know any about that stuff yet <laughs> and the decision that was made. So I, I'm assuming we at least get some sort of resolution with what's, what's going on with Opal. We at least get some clarity on this decision and maybe BRI returns. Who knows? But I don't know. I feel like there's a lot, like even, I'm not even saying to get answers to everything. Neither of, neither of us expect to get the answers to everything. But there's so much that like, I don't know, like, I wonder if we'll even get to talk to Gilmore again. Like, we're just going to, like, is the series going to end and there will never be any closure on the ash hole? You know, I don't know. It, it definitely seems that way. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not trying to sound negative. I just, yeah. I just, I just don't, I just don't see it happening. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I guess, uh, yeah. At the risk, I hope we weren't saying negative because I, I've, I've loved EXU. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, it's great. It's been great. We're, this is just, you know, we're trying to parse it out, figure out what the, what the story being told really is here. Time is a weird soup. Yeah. That was like prophetic, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> From Ashley. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. So. Oh. Well, man, I mean, I feel like we have, this is, I mean, we've been going for an hour. That's, we, that's, a yeah, long yeah. time but i feel like it's short for one of our episodes so i feel like are we are, did we cover everything you wanted to yeah i mean i think realistically even though it was a typical episode it wasn't it wasn't um there wasn't a lot to talk about in this episode um you know pre heading down to the cube was really them just kind of like getting their bearings and getting ready to leave yeah. um and then the cube itself was a pretty lengthy part so i i on, on the other hand i kind of understand that it's you know, I reckon for what I'm trying to say is I understand that if it wasn't as long an episode as normal, um, I get it, but yeah. I'm just ready for next week. Me ready too, to see man. what happens. Me too. I'm hoping, so. I'm hoping I can watch it live. Um, are you planning to obviously? Or? Yeah, I'll watch it live. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll, we'll be texting if, if so, if I can. Yeah. And then we'll be doing our episode on it. Probably, probably a little later than normal. Cause I'm, I'll be out of town, but as soon as I get back. Yep. And for our listeners, uh, definitely, you know, watch it live with us. Comment on this video um, what your guesses are for episode eight, the final episode of EXU. That's right. And uh, oh, you can find us on uh, Twitter over at PX Lists, PXLISTS, Pixlists. Mm -hmm. um, hit us, hit us with your theories there as well. Um, oh, and uh, are we doing this for what if? Yeah. I think so. Okay. I, I mean, I, I, I wanted to, but I didn't know. We, I don't know if we ever talked about it. I don't, I don't know. I think I want to. I think I might have to see episode one first to see like, okay, do I want to commit to this or not? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that, that comes out. I mean, I'll, I'm going to be gone again, so we won't, we wouldn't be able next to film week, it until right? I got back. But yeah, it comes out Wednesday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So potentially look for that coming from us as well. Yep. All right. Wait, uh, thumbnail. What do, what do, yeah, what are we doing for a thumbnail? I don't know. You got anything this time? I think like a gravity, like, you know, kind of like a, you know, <laughs> type thing. Like a. Yeah, yeah. Like. Uh, uh. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, we're the Pixelists. Thanks for checking us out. We'll catch you later. Bye. Deuces.